Well, I love how that song fires you all up, because it surely did. And it's pretty much the gospel. If he walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. I think it was C.S. Lewis said that something like this, that if Christianity is not true, it is of little significance. But if it is true, there is nothing more significant. What? Canceled the grave. This is big. That's why we celebrate. Before we get into the teaching part, I have a request. I would like to invite all of you all over for supper tonight. <laughs> all of you. So at 6 o'clock tonight, we're going to have a chili and slumgullion event. Slumgullion is just a fancy word for a beef stew. So this year we're doing it different. They've got one giant kettle. They've already got it started out back. One giant kettle, and I mean giant kettle of chili, and the other giant kettle of beef stew. And I'd like to invite you all over for supper. Okay, and you're not going to not come, are you? <laughs> so I'm really being serious. There's a lot of people in the church, you never come to this kind of stuff, and I don't get it. I'm, I'm being sincere. I, I don't get it. Uh, no one's going to charge you anything. It's free. I would ask you to bring some sides, maybe some sandwiches, pimento cheese, or peanut butter, or whatever you like, and maybe make me a really nice dessert and come on. Okay? I'd like to see you all tonight for supper, 6 o'clock. So, everybody's coming, right? We're planning on all of you coming. We're going to have, it's called heaven practice. So, if you don't, well, you know, church would be fun if it weren't for all those people. Well, tonight, you're going to get a chance to hang out with some of the people that we're going to be in heaven with. So, I'll see you all at 6 o'clock, okay? What do you think of when I say the word ark? Most of you think about two applications from the Bible. Last week, I told you there's actually three. The interesting point to me is that all three represent God's power to save. Today is the ark, part two. The first ark, Noah's ark, was the vessel through which God would save Noah from the coming judgment. The Bible says Noah was a preacher. Do you know that? We think of him as a boat builder. The Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness, which means that he was sharing the ark and the covenant with the people of the earth during the construction process, but they refused to listen. And I want you to know something. He was sharing the ark and the covenant. The covenant was the word of God that the ark would save you, but you would need to go through that door, which means you would have to believe it was going to rain. The ark represented a covenant word, a covenant word of God but then and today, the covenant word means you have to believe it for it to be real in your life. If you believe it was going to rain, you'd get on the ark. The apostle Peter describes that situation of Noah in the New Testament. 2 Peter 2 verse 5. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family, 
Noah warned the people of God's righteous judgment. Now, now I, don't, I don't want you to miss that. While Noah's building this ark, he warns the people of God's righteous judgment. Judgment day is coming. It's going to rain. So, God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Warning. Noah warned the world and deliverance. In the same event, there is warning and there is deliverance. The ark, have you ever thought of it like this? The ark lifted Noah and his family above, out of the judgment of God. The ark and the covenant of God. It's like this. The Word of God lifted Noah out of the judgment. The covenant giving him knowledge of how he could escape the coming judgment lifted him out of the judgment that was coming. The ark and the covenant. The second ark that we talked about last week was the ark of bulrushes that carried Moses away from the wicked judgment of Pharaoh to kill all the male children of Israel. Satan thought he could thwart God's covenant promise to Abraham by killing the boys, but God's covenant word to Abraham was unstoppable. Then and now, God's covenant word to Noah, to Abraham, it's unstoppable. Pharaoh thinks... Satan puts in Pharaoh's heart, let's kill the male children, and I can stop this Abraham covenant. No, you can't. God turned that wicked Pharaoh edict into Passover. You ever thought about it? God turned that wicked Pharaoh edict, let's kill the boys, into Passover, which means the boys of the other side will die. The covenant promise of God, the Lamb of God, would save them from the judgment of God that was coming upon Egypt. The Ark of Bulrushes also rep represented an unstoppable covenant word of God. But what about the third one? The third Ark actually contained the covenant. I want you to visualize this. <coughs> it's a box, a golden box that contained the covenant, the ark of the covenant, the word of God, the promises of God. It was in the time of Moses after the Passover, after they had received the offer of God to come and live among them in the tabernacle. Now, last week I made a big point out of this, that what was happening in the time of the Ark of the Covenant and Moses is God was going to do something that he hadn't done since the Garden of Eden. He was going to come and dwell in their presence. There was a separation that happened when sin entered the Garden. And now he's making an offer to come back and live among the people of Israel. That's where we're going to pick up our story today in part two. The Ark of Noah the Ark of Bulrushes, and the Ark of the Covenant. They all have something in common. The Ark was God's tool of salvation. 
a promise, a covenant of a way to be saved. The ark was used to save in the moment, and it was also to reveal something that was coming later, even larger in the future. God told Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant and place the mercy seat, <clears throat> the place of atonement, on top of the Ark. Above the Ark of the Covenant would be the mercy seat. Moses and his brother Aaron were both to serve in the role of high priest in this tent, this tabernacle of God. The high priest was given by God a way, a way to enter into the most holy place of God's presence and make an offering of blood that would atone for the sins of the people. It was called the Day of Atonement. The Jews today call it Yom Kippur. In fact, it happened last week on our calendar, September 16th. The Day of Atonement. This entire high priest event would take place behind the veil. Listen carefully. Something had to happen behind the veil. And what's behind the veil? The Ark of the Covenant. It must happen once per year. And the sacrifice must be made by God's appointed high priest only. Nobody else can do it. It has to be the appointed high priest. Yom Kippur is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. The day of atonement. Yom Kippur is a shadow. This is what I'm trying to communicate. It is a shadow or a preview of what? Judgment day. When each of us will face the glory of God that is, at least for now, behind the veil. But one day we will stand in front of God without the veil. We will stand before God and give an account for what we have done in the flesh. The veil will be finally removed. On judgment day, all will be sealed. All will be final. Yom Kippur reveals the urgent need to deal with sin. Listen carefully. The Day of Atonement, then under the Jewish law and today as a fulfillment of the shadow itself, it is a shadow, a preview of Judgment Day when we're going to face God face to face. On Judgment Day, everything's going to be sealed. Everything's going to be final. It reveals our urgent need to deal with sin before you confront the veil, the very presence of God. All sin is rebellion against God. And sin will not be allowed behind the veil. Sin cannot pass through the veil. Sin will not and cannot enter the holy presence of God. Sin must be dealt with before you approach the veil, before you approach God, whether it was in the tabernacle, the temple, or today. Those who have not dealt with sin through the atonement sacrifice, 
thus the Day of Atonement title, will forever be separated from God's presence in a place called hell. Sin must be dealt with before you approach the veil. If a person rejects God's atonement, that person has chosen to not go beyond the veil. Because it is the atonement that allowed someone to enter the presence of God on the other side of the veil. The Ark of the Covenant reveals this eternal truth. It is a shadow revelation of Christ the Messiah. I want to show it to you. Let's go back to Exodus 26, 30. This is God's instruction to Moses. Set up this tabernacle. It's a tent. According to the pattern you were shown on the mountain. Now, it's as if we, we, we have to understand that God showed Moses something heavenly. There is a heavenly tabernacle, and he is revealing it to Moses while he's on the mountain. Set up this tabernacle according to the pattern you were shown on the mountain. For the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain. It's a veil of fine, finely woven linen. Decorate it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Everybody stay with me. Let's pause for a moment. There's a curtain that will separate the holy place from the most holy place. The most holy place has the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God is behind that curtain. And what does he tell Moses to put on the curtain? Cherubim. Do you know why? Let's go. What did I tell you a moment ago? For the first time since the garden, God is going to come and live among his people. The presence of God is going to be in the camp of Israel. Well, what about the gap? What happened? Why isn't God dwelling among his people? Ever since the Garden of Eden, something happened. When sin entered the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had to leave. They were escorted out of the garden, out of God's presence. And what did God do? He put up a gate on the east side of the Garden of Eden. And how did he protect the gate? Flaming swords. Who had the flaming swords? Cherubim. Cherubim were to keep Adam and Eve from entering and eating of the tree of life, experiencing the presence of God. Cherubim. And God did not dwell among His people again until now He's coming to Israel. I will dwell among you behind the veil, and the veil of all things has cherubim guarding the entrance into the presence of God. Decorated with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, this curtain, this veil, with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Hang this curtain on gold hooks. Attach the four posts of acacia wood. Overlay the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases. Hang the inner curtain from clasp and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it, behind the veil, the curtain that has cherubim on it. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Then put the ark's cover, the place of atonement, on top of the ark of the covenant inside the most holy place. Now I want you to, as we move forward in this story, we have the presence of God behind the curtain. His desire is to dwell among his people. 
but there's a veil, there's a curtain, and there's guardian cherub, symbolically, guardian cherubs to keep you from entering the presence of God. Moses is commissioned to build all this according to the pattern that is revealed in heaven. Did you know there was one of these in heaven? It was also revealed to the apostle John in the Revelation some 1,500 years after the time of Moses. God opens up a vision and allows John to see in heaven what we assume to be what Moses saw in heaven 1,500 years earlier. Let me read it to you. Revelation eleven seventeen, And they, and we're talking about the 24 elders that are around the throne of God. And they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who always was. For now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations, the people of the earth, were filled with wrath. But now the time of your wrath, God, has come. It's time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name, from the least to the greatest. It's time to destroy all of those who have caused destruction on the earth. Then in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the ark and his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed, and roared. There was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. When John saw the temple in heaven, lightning flashed, the earth shook, there was a terrible hailstorm. Is this the pattern that Moses saw when he was on the mountain with God 1,500 years earlier? The ark, why all the lightning and why the thunder and why, why is everything shaken at the scene? The ark represents the power and the presence of God. It's not a small thing. It represents the power and presence of God. In the time of Moses, it was God's power and presence in the camp of Israel, behind a curtain. They took this ark with them into battle because they believed that God would fight for them because he was in the camp. One time, the ark was captured by the Philistines, and they set the ark next to their pagan idol called Dagon. This is where you get the word in the Bible, Ichabod. You know what Ichabod is? Ichabod comes from this phrase, the glory has departed from Israel. In the time in which the Philistines took the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, this golden chest, they took it to their own camp. They had won the victory and they hijacked the ark of the covenant, took it into their camp. But the glory of God was not going to dwell with this pagan god in a tent called Dagon. So something started to happen in the Philistine camp. Do you know what the story is? They all started breaking out with cancerous tumors. And then they would set the ark next to the statue of Dagon, and every time they would leave and come back, Dagon would be laying down. 
And they would set it back up and Dagon would be laying down. And Isaiah 48, 11 explains what happened to Dagon. I will rescue you for my sake. Yes, for my own sake. I will not let my reputation be tarnished, God said, and I will not share my glory with idols. Dagon, get down. Dagon's bowing to the presence of God, whether he likes it or not. The ark represents the very presence of God. To approach the ark without blood would be deadly. Only the high priest, and this is the next big point, only the high priest could enter the most holy place and stand before the Ark of the Covenant. There was a time when Israel had a king. His name is Uzziah, and he became prideful, and he became arrogant, and because he was a king in Israel, he thought he could go into the temple himself, but he's not a priest. He thought he could go into the temple himself and burn incense, and when he tried it, he broke out in leprosy all over his body. The priest, by the way, warned him, said, don't do it, don't do it. King Uzziah lived that way, leprous, the rest of his life, and he was, became unclean because of the skin condition of leprosy. Do you know what that meant under the Jewish law? Never again could the king ever enter the, the temple. Never. And I'm not talking about the most holy place where he shouldn't have been in the first place. But he couldn't even enter the temple at all because he had become unclean. My point is this. Behind the curtain is a place of atonement. It is the presence of God. God was making a way through the curtain by a high priest. Now remember, this is a shadow of a coming reality. Only the high priest. Now, some of you might wonder about this time, what does all of this Bible history about an ark have to do with us today? Can I answer it with one word? Everything. The atonement is reconciliation. Reconciliation is our way back to God to make peace with God and escape the coming judgment of sin and death. How do you plan to get past the cherubim? What made Adam and Eve leave the garden? Sin. They couldn't re-enter the garden and have the tree of life, tree of life, tree of life. By the way, there's one of those in heaven too. Because the cherubim guarded. And now we have the presence of God on a curtain, a behind the curtain, and cherubim separating us from God. How do you plan to get past the cherubim? Yom Kippur is the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. Why? It is the day of atonement. The day in which you must be reconciled to God, to find your way back to God. Yom Kippur is a shadow. Listen, it is a shadow, a preview of judgment day. When each of us is going to face the glory of God that resides behind the veil. On judgment day, all will be sealed. Everything will be final. Yom Kippur reveals the urgent need to deal with sin before we confront the veil. Before we confront the presence of God. You must deal with sin. 
How? Okay, you got my attention, preacher. How? The blood of the Lamb. Just like the Passover in Egypt, just like the high priest at the tabernacle, how did they deal with it? At Passover, blood of the Lamb. The high priest, blood of the Lamb. The entire ark sequence, all three, Noah's ark, the ark of bulrushes, the ark of the covenant, all three reveal Jesus. They all reveal Savior. They all reveal Deliverer. They all reveal High Priest. They all reveal the blood of the Lamb, the atonement that reconciles God and man. The Ark of Noah had one door. Jesus is the one door. He says this in John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Through me. You're not going to get to the God the Father. You're, you're not going to be able to atone for the sin that allows you through the curtain, through the gate, through the cherubim, unless you can deal with sin. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The ark of bulrushes that carried Moses from the death sentence of Pharaoh, Satan's attempt to stop Abraham's covenant, was also a shadow of Jesus. Jesus is the way that God is going to fulfill the covenant he made with Abraham. And that covenant was through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that includes the Gentile nations of the earth. Herod, have you ever thought about it? Herod issued a similar edict at, as Pharaoh. A similar edict in the time of Jesus' birth. Herod, thinking he could also thwart this king of the Jews being born, he thought he could kill all the male children under the age of two. Moses was Israel's deliverer. But Moses knew there was one coming after him that would be the ultimate deliverer and rescue, restore a broken relationship with God. By what? By becoming the atoning sacrifice himself. In Deuteronomy 18, here's what Moses says about the future, revealing that he is only a shadow of the one who is coming. Moses continued, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Moses was instructed to build the Ark of the Covenant. He was given great instructions. He was even allowed to see something in heaven, supernaturally, inside the temple of God. He was to place the Ark of the Covenant inside the most holy place behind the curtain. Do you know what was inside the Ark of the Covenant? The stone tablets, the Ten Commandments given to God, the law given to Israel by God. Does this reveal Jesus? The stone tablets. What are the stone tablets? It's not about stone tablets. It's about what's on the stone tablets. It is the Word of God, the covenant of God. Is Jesus the Word? Jesus is the Word.
So the stone tablets reveal Jesus. What else is in the ark? A jar of manna. It's the bread that come, came down from heaven. What about, does it reveal Jesus? Jesus declares to the world, I am the bread of life. And by the way, I am come down from heaven. Number three, Aaron's staff that budded was placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. Does that reveal Jesus? It was a wooden stick that came back to life and sprouted and produced almonds afterwards. Jesus died on a tree and came back to life and produced fruit, the fruit of righteousness, the firstborn of the dead. All of these are shadows. All of them reveal Jesus, Yeshua Messiah. In fact, everything in the tabernacle, I've just described to you the golden box. Everything in the tabernacle cries out, Jesus, Jesus. Let me prove it to you. The tabernacle had only one entrance. Noah's Ark had one entrance. It had one entrance. Jesus is that door that gives access to God's presence. If you walked inside the tabernacle's one entrance, you would come in front of the bronze laver to wash. It is representative of the baptism of Christ. There was after that an altar for blood sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice, the blood of the Lamb. If you kept going, you would find a table of showbread. And Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Can you see it? If you kept going, you would find a golden lampstand in which Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You can't make this up. If you kept going, you'd find the altar of incense that was burnt as a, as a pleasing aroma to God. Jesus stands between us and God and intercedes for us as high priest. And there was a veil. Beyond that was a veil that separated the most holy place from the holy place of God's presence and the Ark of the Covenant with cherubim, cherubim guarding the entrance into God's presence. Do you know what happened as Jesus breathed his final breath on the cross? Matthew 27, verse 50, and then Jesus shouted out again as he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You can't make this up. Everything in the tabernacle is crying out, Jesus, Jesus. It's a shadow that would be fulfilled by Jesus. There's something else that happened. As Jesus breathes his final breath, the curtain that separated man from God, that had cherubim that kept us out of the presence of God, it was torn from top to bottom. It's like God does this, tears it. And look, look at what happens next. The earth shook. The rocks split apart. Tombs were open. What if you were doing something in the graveyard that day? <laughs> the tombs open. And many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery. Are you all with me? They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Grandma's back. 
the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they said, this man truly was the Son of God. Jesus' death on the cross has opened up a way, a door, a door into the presence of God. His death is our atonement. He is the Ark of the Covenant. He is the way back to God. He's it. He is the Ark of our salvation. And I'm going to tell you, no one's going to get to the Father except through Him. But there's another part in there. Do you know all that's going to happen again one day? Every event I just described to you is going to happen again one day. The earth is going to shake again. It is prophesied. When Jesus comes, the earth will once again shook. It shook that day, right? When he breathed his last breath, it shook. It's going to happen again. The rocks are going to split apart again when he comes. The bodies of godly. Did you notice something? It wasn't the pagans who rose from the grave, went into town and scared people to death. It wasn't pagans. You know who it was? Godly men and women. They rose. Do you know that's going to happen again? Everything in that scene was a shadow of events that are prophesied to occur when Jesus returns. The bodies of godly men and women are going to rise from their graves when he comes. Gentiles, there was another one. Gentiles, like this Roman officer, are going to stand up and proclaim, this man, surely he is the Son of God when he comes. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to wait until that day to declare, Jesus, surely you are the Son of God. You are our Ark of the Covenant. Now, there's one more that I have to give you. This one blows my socks off. The atonement cover had angels on each side facing each other and facing down on the mercy seat. And this, I'll show you the picture. I want you to visualize something. God told Moses very specifically that you would have cherubim on each end of this look with their wings extended looking down on the mercy seat, the throne of God. Do you know what Mary Magdalene found at the empty tomb of Jesus on the third day? Let me read it to you. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stood and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other sitting at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Can you see it? Everything is pointing toward Jesus. The ark. Do you believe in the ark? Noah's ark, the ark that saved Moses from death as a child. Do you believe in the ark of the covenant? That everything cries out, Messiah, Messiah, Savior, Deliverer. Now that brings me to a very curious question today. Where is the Ark of the Covenant that was built by Moses? Where is it today? I'm going to read from an article written by Dr. Thomas McCall, published in Dr. David Reagan's magazine back in May of 2021. I want to read a paragraph to try to 
open our thinking about where is the ark of the covenant that was built by Moses, something similar to this picture. The Ark of the Covenant disappeared off the pages of history by the time of the Babylonian captivity. Nothing in the Bible is said about the Ark in the Old Testament after the return from Babylon. But the Apocrypha states that the Ark could not be found when the Jewish people rebuilt the temple at the time of Ezra and Zechariah. The explanation in the Apocrypha was that Jeremiah hid the ark in a cave in Mount Nebo before the Babylonian invasion, and that its location would not be revealed until God was ready for it to be found. Why is this important for us today? We know that Jesus is our atonement, so why do we care anything about the ark of the covenant? Stay with me. The Jewish people are making preparations for Messiah. Do you know that? It's important that we understand that while people say things have been like this, you talk about the soon return of Christ, guess what? They've been talking about that, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, they've been talking about that for 2,000 years, but something's different today. The Jewish people are making preparations for Messiah. And the Bible clearly states that the Jewish people will rebuild the Jerusalem temple before the second coming of Christ, and that something else will happen there. And the Antichrist will stand in that rebuilt Jerusalem temple and proclaim to the world that he is God in the midst of the seven-year great tribulation. It's in here. The Temple Institute in Jerusalem, which I have had the privilege of visiting twice, has recreated all the articles necessary to restart the temple worship except one, the ark. I've gone there and I've spent a lot of time in it. Both times I went, I got a chance to see, and the priestly garments, everything needed, the golden lampstand, everything needed to restart temple worship in Jerusalem is made. It's sitting there on display. They told me not to take pictures, and I took pictures anyway, but I repented. <laughs> when I was there in 2019, the people at the Temple Institute told us this. In fact, I almost fell out of my chair. They said, in Jerusalem, the Temple Institute said that they have the ark in their possession and they will bring it out at the proper time. Now, I thought I had heard it wrong. So I questioned them at the end of the tour, and I said, you say you have the ark in your possession, and you will bring it out at the proper time. Yes, that's what we said. No one knows for sure. Some say it's directly under the Dome of the Rock in a secret cave. I think that's what they allude to at the Temple Institute. Some say it's in Ethiopia, and it's been guarded by Ethiopians for thousands of years. Some suggest, the Apocrypha I read, suggests that Jeremiah hid it in a cave in Mount Nebo. Indiana Jones says it's in a warehouse in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Does it still exist on the earth? Or did God take it up into heaven? Was that the ark 
of Moses' time recorded in the Revelation to John? I don't know. I don't know. Does it matter? To you sitting in this room today, does it matter? It matters from this perspective. Here we go. Do you believe in the earth? This entire series, do you believe in the ark? And here's why I asked the question. The people in Noah's day didn't. The ark is God's way to save you from the coming judgment. Whether it was a boat, bulrushes, or a box that reveals everything about a coming Messiah. Do you believe in the ark? See, if you believed in the ark in the time of Noah, you'd go through that door. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. If you believed in the ark of the covenant, revealing Messiah, the one way, one door into, through that curtain, into the holy presence of God, you'd go through that door. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. And the problem, and the reason I make such a big deal out of this, is this. Jesus said that his coming next time, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. That doesn't look good. In fact, let me read it. Luke 17 when the Son of Man returns, it's going to be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. And the flood came. And it destroyed all of them. But the Peter says he was a preacher of righteousness. And he told them, it's going to rain. They didn't believe in Noah. Do you believe in Noah? You see, God used an ark of bulrushes to deliver the deliverer Moses from the hands of Pharaoh and then do to Pharaoh's son the very thing that Pharaoh tried to do to the children of God. Do you believe in the ark of the covenant? Do you believe that God has made a way, a doorway that reconciles mankind into himself by the atoning sacrifice of his only begotten son? Do you have a high priest that can carry out this atoning sacrifice for you and your family? Do you have a high priest some way that you plan to do? On the last day, ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Yes, it will without the Ark of Covenant. Yes, it will. The grave will take hold of you and it will never let you go. You won't pass through that veil unless you have this Ark of the Covenant named Messiah, Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's the only way. It won't be because you did something. It's because he did something, and you believed it. The Ark of the Covenant, the tool by which he saves from the coming judgment. The book of Hebrews calls this the main point. I'm kind of shocked that it calls it the main point. I want to read it to you. Here is the main point. We have a high priest. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. We have a high priest. You, you, you couldn't get past that veil without a high priest. Ask Uzziah. He broke out in leprosy. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. 
There he, Jesus, ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord, not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest, Jesus, must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They, the Levitical priesthood, serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure to make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. But now, but now, Jesus, our high priest, say hallelujah again. Hallelujah. Make sure you get that part. You need this high priest. But now, Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old Levitical priesthood. For he is the one. He is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God than the old covenant. Based on better promises. And some of you would say, okay, what are the better promises? I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will live, even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never, never die. That's better than anything Moses offered in the Old Testament. He can get you past the cherub to the tree of life. And he's the only way you're going to get past the cherub to the tree of life. He can get you past the grave. Ain't no grave going to hold this body down. He can get you past death. So I close today with the Jewish people, what they call the, the day of all, A-W-E. In the time of Moses, the high priest would enter the most holy place of God's presence behind the veil of the tabernacle at the Ark of the Covenant. And the high priest would offer a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people of Israel. The 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement are called the days of all. It's the time of spiritual preparation when the people return to God. How? How do you return to God in the days of all, knowing the day of atonement? Judgment day is coming. How do you do it? By repenting. Repentance is the physical and spiritual act of returning to God, to be reconciled to God. It is the physical and the spiritual. Listen, I need to describe both. <coughs> Much of our life, we walk away from God. Our back is turned to God. Sin is turning your back upon God. The physical side is you must turn around. You must face God physically and spiritually. You face the covenant. You face the day of atonement is coming. You face it. You deal with it. How? By turning around and facing God, confessing my sin. Taking my sin admitting to my sin and bringing it to the atonement cover, which in our case is Jesus himself. And his blood will cover. And my high priest, my wonderful, glorious high priest 
will then escort me into the presence of God, having paid off my sin debt. It's called repentance. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me, only in returning to me, resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. What? Have none of what? The very thing that you and I need to do the most is the very thing we want to do the least. To turn around and face God. To face the reality that the Day of Atonement's coming. And when you know it's coming, it's called the Days of All, when you now have an opportunity to prepare yourself for the event of absolute that's coming. Judgment. Standing before God. But how? How? I look across the room today, and let me be very specific. There are people sitting here that have sin in your life, and you know it's sin in your life, and you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to deal with it. Why? Do you believe in the ark? The ark is the place that God would save you. But it's also the ark and a covenant. And the covenant is a word. It's a word. And the word is a person. And the word says, repent. Repent. But I don't want to. Then you'll be lost. It's called the days of all. Ten days between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. Ten days to repent and make peace with God before the Day of Atonement comes. These are called the days of all because they would determine your position with God in relation to the Day of Atonement. Those who have confessed and repented of their sins will find peace with God on the Day of Atonement. But those who refuse to return, those who refuse to repent, will find His divine judgment instead of His divine forgiveness and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jeremiah 3 verse 21, it says, Voices, voices are heard high on the windswept mountains. The weeping and pleading for Israel's people for they have chosen crooked paths and have forgotten. They have forgotten the Lord their God. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me. I hear him saying that to the church today. I do. Everything in me, my spirit, everything in me says, I hear the Lord saying, wayward children, come back to me and I will heal your wayward hearts turn around. You're not walking toward me. Your life is not pursuing me. You're not headed for me. You're headed away from me. Turn around. Face me. But I don't want to. Do you believe in the ark? I'm convinced the day of atonement will come suddenly this next time. Like in the days of Noah, there will be no escape for those who refuse to believe in the ark. There will be two groups of people. Here's the closing today. In the day, of, the day of atonement, the day of God's judgment, there will be two groups of people. 
Let me describe the first group. 1 Thessalonians 5. By the way, they're all in the same chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, talking about the return of Jesus, the Day of Atonement, Judgment Day. Concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, and then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape, because in the days of all, you never turned around. You never repented. You, nope, nope. I got plenty of time. No, you don't. So that's the first group of people. They're lost. They're not going through the curtain. They're lost forever outside, away from the presence of God. It's called hell. But there's another group of people. By the way, that first group, they didn't believe in arcs. Because let me assure you of something. You know why in the New Testament, the number one title given to Christians in the New Testament is believers. You think that's an accident? They're believers because they believe. And if you believed what I have just described to you today, you'd get yourself in this ark. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. Everybody would. Because here's the other group. At first group, they're not believers. They didn't believe in arks. This next group does and did. Verse 4. Next verse, by the way. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief to that other group. For you are all children of the light, and you're children of the day. We don't belong to the darkness. We don't belong to the night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert. Be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Christ died for us. So that whether we're dead or alive when He returns, we can live with Him forever. So, encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. I won't be a Negro. I want to be a child of the day, child of the light. I won't be caught like a thief in the night. And how would I do that? I plan on Him coming today. And then if He doesn't, tomorrow I'll wake up and plan on Him coming again. So I'm going to ask Chad to come out for the invitation. I'm going to ask you again, one more time. Do you believe in the ark? Here's the evidence. Okay, you ready? You won't like this. Some of you won't like it, but that's okay. I'm almost done. <laughs> Is there sin in your life you have not repented of? That's, there's your testimony. Is there sin in your life that you have not told God about and turned away from? by the blood of Christ and given, put under the blood of Christ. I believe in the ark, but no, I'm not going to repent. You, you don't believe in the ark. No, you don't. You're, you're still not getting it. Repentance is part of the ark. You turn and you face God.
you face the reality of God. So we're going to sing a song. The song talks about this one name, this one way, one name, one way. And it's a wonderful opportunity for people to decide who you are. And if you believed in art, you can get on art before it starts to rain. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. So we're going to sing this song, and if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, there's something you need to repent of. You don't have to tell me. Tell him. Come up here and deal with it today. Deal with it. Face God. Quit walking away from Him. His grace is marvelous. But His grace comes when you turn around and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's face it. Not walking away from Him. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd make believers out of us. By the power of your Spirit, reveal the truth. Save us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The invitation's open. Let's stand.